The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Talk that matters. Germ Warfare and Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Germ Warfare at tntradio.live. That's my email address. As always, um, jump into the live chat. Uh, say hi from wherever you are in the world. If you are watching via one of the live streams, it's great to have you. Uh, just go to TNT's website. You'll find all the links uh, for how you can watch the show, listen to the show, and download or listen after the fact via podcast or whatever app. There are just like this huge amount of options. Um, so if you aren't listening right now, you can certainly listen tomorrow. Uh, that's the that's the beauty of TNT, uh, the beauty of where technology has has taken us. It's really a great great thing. I, for example, would never have imagined myself doing this few, even just a few years ago. And here we are. Here we are with, uh, with Alex and Joel all the way in Australia. I'm at the bottom tip of the African continent. And um, Hugo, who's going to be joining us in a moment, he's in Europe. It's just, it's just phenomenal. I love technology and how it's made the world a smaller place. I almost said made the globe a smaller place, but I know that I'm going to get angry emails from people who think Earth is flat, so I can't say globe. I must say world. <laughs> All right, uh, let's 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 jump into the conversation. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the battle of ideas. Abroad or at home, this is your news. By staying silent, we are part of the problem. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, Hugo, you halfway around the world. I can't say globe. Yes, I'm on the other side of the plane. <laughs> of the of the infinite plane. <laughs> of the what's well, this? Because as far as I know, as I, I read up flat Earth physics, um, as far as I know, flat Earth cannot spin because otherwise the waves would just go off the plane. Of it the doesn't disc, spin; obviously. it stays dead still. Mm. It stays dead circle. But they struggle to explain Foucault's pendulum. The pendulum it swings and it, it measures mm. the rotation of the Earth. So if you can prove the Earth rotates, it's not flat. Has to be around just as some fact to them, and they, they get very upset when you start asking that question. Why is it? <laughs> well, listen, Hugo Kruger, um, I love chatting to you about uh, nuclear uh, because you are um, in that field, but we're going to be chatting, I suppose, a segue topic, and that is radiation. Uh, this is something now that the average person knows very little about. All we know is that it's dangerous, it's deadly. Uh, stop using your microwave. Um, you know, radiation is just this very deadly, scary concept. Now, I know nothing about it. So let's just go straight back to basics. When we talk about radiation, what are we talking about? So there's two types of radiation. Radiation is energy. Make it simple. Energy that comes in waves. So you can't see it, you can't feel it. So therefore, it's like COVID. People run away from it, right? And that's the big problem with this thing. There's generally two types, which is called ionizing and non-ionizing. So if you have a spectrum of waves, it goes all the way from microwaves to other type of waves. And radiation, um, infrared radiation is, is, has got a certain frequency, for example. And then the higher the frequency goes of these waves, um, you get into what we call ionizing radiation. That's the one people are scared of. And what ionizing radiation means is it breaks molecules. Okay? So you've got, you know, you've got a periodic table of elements. Multiple elements combining is a molecule, and ionizing radiation is enough energy to break the bonds. And that's what people are scared of. They're scared that if radiation gets that 
intense. It's going to do damage and it's going to cause cancer and it's going to destroy your genes. And that's generally um, what the fear is driven about, to make it simple. For you. But, but um, isn't the science on radiation settled? Well, it's interesting. Here you have a weird thing where the peer-reviewed literature is actually debating the science of radiation. Okay, so it's not as um, I would say it's not as unpopular to say within the medical field that radiation is not damaging, that it's good for you. It's called radiation hormesis, but a public perception is on the one hand of the science, and that's where the money goes, and that's where the regulator goes. So if you look at nuclear regulators throughout the world, they make the assumption that every dosage of ionizing radiation, no matter how small, is dangerous to you. Now, that's, that's sort of like homeopathy, if you think of it. Homeopathy says if you have one poison, if somebody pees in the ocean, okay, then basically that ocean water you can't drink. We know that's nonsense. If you drink a little bit of that water, it might even be good for you. But you have natural immunity to radiation. And basically, I'm on the camp that says we have natural immunity to radiation. Now, to show you how controversial this saying in public is, I was on Aristia, an Afrikaans radio station in South Africa a few weeks ago, and I debated Greenpeace on nuclear. And um, they came with all the, you know, radiations, the end of the world type of things. Um, my, a man by the name of Mike Kanti that I debated, and I said in public radiation is good for you. And I say that Fukushima is not a disaster. It's actually a success story of nuclear because nobody died. Why would we call it a disaster if nobody died? Right? That must be a success story. Um, anyway, so I said these things on a South African radio, which is quite a big radio station. And then I got a love letter from the dean of Stellenbosch University in South Africa. And he said I was being insensitive with my comments. So just to show you how, uh, how dogmatic and how touchy the subject is, um, it's weird because I think the public understands this. It's like COVID. When I say to the public, when you say to the public, you have natural immunity to viruses, whatever your view on virus stuff is, people sort of go, it's like this thing isn't bad for my age, right? And I'm saying the same thing about radiation. If it's at a low dosage, you can drink radioactive water. You can eat radioactive food. It makes no difference. Your body heals, right? You adapt, you heal, you get immunity to it. And then um, people say, no, even the tiny little bit of it is going to give you cancer. And I just say that's nonsense. That's not even supported by the peer-reviewed evidence, whatever you think of peer-reviewed. But, so, well, hold on, Hugo. Are you, are you saying that, uh, uh, that radiation, or at least the fear around it, is driven by industry interests? There's, there's good evidence of this. Uh, in the 1950s... Um, Give people a bit of a background. Okay? So we had the atomic bomb tests. Okay, Guess how many people had cancer from the atomic bomb tests? Like if you would put a number, how many people do you think had cancer? It's 9,000, which is like mind-blowingly low. And we don't even know if it's all due to radiation because you're measuring everyone. Okay, So it's like COVID. You measure everyone, you find COVID everywhere. But fine, 9,000. Chernobyl. As best we can tell, between six to 30,000 people in excess of a population of entire Europe. I mean, this is tiny numbers in comparison. Um, let's look at the industry interest that you asked about. So in the 1950s, General Eisenhower constituted what was called the Bears Committee. And the Bears Committee looked on uh, at the effect of radiation fallout on the United States. Because they did a lot of atomic bomb tests in notably Nevada. And the Mormons are living in Utah, which is next door to Nevada. 
And these clouds sort of went over the Mormon villages. They had no protection. The kids were playing in the sun. Okay, so you had radiation cloud coming over. In fact, there was more radiation there than at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And guess what happened? The Mormons have the least amount of cancer in the United States. So this base committee was stacked with, guess what? Geneticists funded by, guess who? The rather ominous, innocent-sounding Rockefeller Foundation, just oil money. So the oil industry lobbied for very strict radiation standards that we need to be scared of radiation. So you're saying that the Rockefellers uh, were funding the oil industry who were in turn pushing out propaganda about radiation? Well, this is in the official correspondence. You can go to the website of the Health Physics Society. It's a group of radiologists and health physicists in America who oppose this, and actually the majority of scientists. They did, a, I think it's a 10-part interview of Dr. Dr. Edward Calabrese, who I interviewed on this. And in the official communications he showed, they used the word, we are all conspirators over here. <laughs> so, <laughs> a conspiracy. Um, Hugo, so what's concerning me a little bit, though, is isn't there a mountain of evidence showing radiation, let's say from nuclear, uh, but, but any radiation, I suppose, um, to cancer? Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, they have, so there's two fears, cancer and genetic defects. We now have three generations of medical data of the atomic bomb survivors, and they haven't picked up genetic deformities. Okay, that's just weird. You'd think there'd be green children running around. No, none. Mm. Uh, we have very little amounts of radiation from Chernobyl and Fukushima. Fukushima, we have none. Nobody until today has even died of radiation at Fukushima. <laughs> when are we going to say, okay, it doesn't do anything? And Japan yeah. has a law that it will reimburse you if you have cancer. Only one guy has been able to prove it, and people, scientists were not convinced of that thing. Say one guy in the whole population. How do you know that's even causing effect, right? Um, we don't. This is the weird thing. We have it at very high dosages. The French Agence uh, Académie des Sciences in 2005 or six did a good study on this, and they showed above a certain level of radiation, uh, yes, you have cancer, but below it, which is what most background radiation, everyday radiation, and nuclear plants, we just can't find inclusive evidence of this stuff. Mm. Oh, okay, hold on, hold on. So. When you talk about dosages of radiation, I suppose this is this is important. Yeah. You're saying a low dosage of radiation is harmless and potentially even good for you. What yes. about a high dosage? And then what? How do you define that? Okay, so radiation is measured in two dosages. It's called Becquerel. It's the one, and the other one is sievert. Now, um, in nuclear, you have what we call isotopes. So, what is a radioactive material? It's something with an isotope that's still decaying. So you've heard of carbon-14 that they use, for example, and carbon-12. So all carbon-14 decays to carbon-12. So the way they date fossils, okay, um, is, use, is seeing how many isotopes they have, how much carbon hasn't decayed yet. So that carbon is theoretically radioactive, right? So the amount of radioactivity left, if you will, is called Becquerel, the intensity that it can still decay. And then if you measure that intensity over a human body, a more broader uh, measurement, we call it sievert, okay? Now, when I say 100 millisievert, it's a human body measurement. Now, public safety at a nuclear plant is one millisievert. We can't detect cancer at even 100. Okay. Then you have places like Ramsar, Iran, that is higher in background radiation than Chernobyl, 
than Nevada. And guess what? I've be, I was there last year. It's 250 millisieverts. So it's even higher than what medical data say we were at the cancer. And the population is healthy. The kids are playing in radiation. They're drinking radioactive water. So I'm saying that a certain level of radiation does not yet to be bad for you, right? Uh, the safety, the rescuers at Chernobyl, what was called the liquidators, that the young men that the Soviet Union mobilized, they got like 4,000 millisieverts and they die on impact because it's like a high intensity. So yeah, no question about it. Like if you're going to go into a high intensity, if you're going to play in the swimming pool in a nuclear reactor, you're going to die. There's no question about that. But the question is how far away are you to become safe, to be, for it to be benign? And the answer is it's not zero, it's higher than zero. And if you assume it's higher than zero, it means that we have gotten radiation safety wrong since the 1950s. That's a very good point. Okay, so what you're saying is that there is there is a an unnecessarily high degree of paranoia over very low amounts of radiation. Absolutely. And if you eat a banana, it's radioactive, by the way. There's still radioactive potassium. So clearly, not every dosage is, is dangerous to you. It's a question of what that level is. But the radiation yeah. standards, it's called ALARA, as low as reasonably achievable. It says absolutely every dosage is dangerous. Okay, but I'm, I'm, still, I'm still trying to follow the, the, the thinking here. What is the utility? What is the, the practical application of what you're saying? Are you saying that people can go to Chernobyl? Yes. I would say that we should probably not have evacuated many parts of Chernobyl. It's a bit complicated because we didn't know at the time. But certainly, I'm saying people can go back to Fukushima. In fact, some people did not leave Fukushima. And they found. And Chernobyl. And Chernobyl, yes. There's people mm. still living there. There's animals there. <laughs> the, animals. Yeah. the animals are blooming. The animals are mammals like you and me. So um, the same is true of Nevada of the nuclear bomb test. We were told that if you're under a nuclear radiation cloud and there's nuclear winter and all these scarce things, that um, those people are going to die. And I'm saying, well, why is it that the Mormons have less, have the least amount of cancer in the United States, yet the highest background radiation? There's an inverse relationship between cancer and radiation. So what does it mean for medical applications? A bit of radiation is good yes. for you. Like x-rays. That's why we used to go for x-rays. And this is the cognitive dissonance, right? When you go for radiotherapy, they shoot you with radiation so your body can adapt and be more resistant to cancers. And we find that um, nuclear power plant workers have le less cancer than the general population. We find that airplane pilots have less cancer than the general population. Now, people would say that's because they go for many medical checkups. So it's the checkups, not the radiation. But I'm saying that's clearly showing they're not doing it. And we find so many of these population samples across the world. We have people that were exposed to radiation. Um, there was one in Brazil, Guayana, where thieves stole cesium out of an abandoned medical building. It was glow in the dark. Pregnant women ingested it. The kids are still fine today. Okay, so we, we have many of these weird samples where we're like, wait a minute, we're not seeing genetic deformities, and we're not seeing, um, you know, uh, people with cancer. We're actually seeing the opposite. We're seeing healthy people. <laughs> so isn't radiation good for you? Okay, let's continue this. This is fascinating. Let's continue this after the break. Hugo Kruger, I'll be back with you shortly. My name is Jim. This is TNT. TNT's Kate Shamarani. I'm of the, the belief that your body can totally, 100% heal itself. If you remove the offending things and you flood your body with what it needs, 
What do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. They get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special, special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just going to serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, chlorinated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shimarani on today's News Talk TNT. Sometimes life can be overwhelming and suicide may seem like the only way to relieve the pain. Beyond Now is an evidence-based app created by Beyond Blue to help you cope when suicidal thoughts start to appear. You can use it to create an easy-to-follow plan that is personal to you and includes steps like know your warning signs so you can act early, make your environment safe by removing harmful items, activities you can do or people you can be with to distract yourself from suicidal thoughts, reminders of things that make you feel strong, some of these steps might be tough to fill out, and that's okay. It can be helpful to make or share your safety plan with a trusted friend, family member, or mental health professional. You might feel like you're alone, but help is available. If you're worried you can't stay safe, use the red telephone icon to call your emergency contacts. Download the free Beyond Now app today to create your personal safety plan. Today's News Talk Radio. Come on, let the man talk. We never censor our hosts. Good. Now, talk. Uncensored News. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. You got the problem with <laughs> the, the problem with this conversation when we talk about radiation not being so bad and not being so scary is that <laughs> nobody wants to be that person to go and test it. <laughs> Yeah, so I, mean, I tested wanna... it on myself. Right. Okay, so I, I was in Ramsar, Iran. They can go to my Substack, and there's an article I said, the LNT folly, the linear no threshold mm. folly. This is the, the name of the theory, linear no threshold. There's no safety threshold, right? And I went to Ramsar in Iran, and guess what? There's carp fish swimming in the water there from the Shah's holiday palace. That's radioactive. <laughs> <laughs> it's by the end of the revolution, by the way. It's green. It's next to the Caspian Sea. There's people sitting in the ocean. There's fishermen there. Mm. There's even beautiful girls standing there, though they're not allowed to according to weird rules in Iran. So, uh, I've been to the most radioactive place in the world. I even ate a fruit, a narki, a, a what do you call narki in English, a clementine, okay. from the mm. um, holiday palace of the Shah, okay, which is radioactive. And according to modern radiation safety standards, I should be dead. Okay, so, I've tasted, I've exposed myself to high radiation. Um, my sister even taught English in Fukushima, and she's been to the exclusion zone. And what's always funny about Fukushima is people go there like it's a pilgrimage. You know, the poor people who died of Fukushima. First of all, the, no mm -hmm. the locals are annoyed at people going there. And the second thing is, um, when you go in your aeroplane, you would get more radiation from the aeroplane than you'd get in the exclusion zone. Okay, why isn't the radiation in the aeroplane killing you? So you have been exposed to it. If you've flown, you've been exposed to low dosages of radiation. And I don't think anyone gets cancer from flying too much. Yeah, well, I mean, cancer it's in itself is a very fascinating topic. Uh, but what does what you're talking about mean for, let's say, nuclear? Because nuclear, as we know, is probably 
it's it's the biggest evil there is when it comes to energy it's it's the one that everybody absolutely hates but they don't know why because they've been propagandized well, well I, I would disagree that the one they hate the most is king Cole, and i have now written oh, an yes. article also i've written an article in the things of coal <laughs> True. so we, we need to yes. we need to do a show on why south africa should burn coal unapologetically <laughs> okay but that's another show for another day <laughs> But uh, yes, um, nuclear power would be a lot cheaper if we make it less safe. Okay. Um, so in nuclear risk assessment, you take, first of all, we have a hundred safety factor to radiation exposure. <laughs> That's obviously going to explode costs. And the second thing is nuclear take in account what we call black swan risks, like Fukushima. So one in a million risks, where normal power plants is maybe one in 10,000, maybe one in 100,000. Okay. Um, so basically, the, the number, the cost allocated per life is something like ten, uh, it's like, like ten million rand per life or something. And I know in South Africa's nuclear plant, Kuber, they spent like the equivalent of a hundred billion per all the lives that would have been saved just for the upgrades, safety upgrades. Okay. So we we keep on adding these safety upgrades to a nuclear plant, and then we turn yeah. around and say it's so expensive, right? And I'm saying. If we accept that the modern radiation safety standards are wrong and there's a safety level, then it's okay during an accident to expose a population for radiation. Now, I'm not saying there's an ethical question because you can't, you know, you have to do, I have no right to do it, but I'm saying if it happens, it's not the end of the world, right? So there's, there's a bit of a, a, a thing. I'm not allowed to give you medicine that's good for you, but I know it won't be harmful. So what does that do? It reduces my operations cost. The other thing is um, nuclear waste is the interesting one. Because we accept no safe level, we basically accept radioactive waste is never going to decay to a threshold. Okay, But if we accept it's going to decay to a safety level, what does that mean about radioactive waste? It means it runs at a negative interest rate. It means that you would make money by saving it, but storing it. Because what does a positive interest rate do? It eats money. But a negative interest rate would make you money. So if you were to put a nuclear uh, storage facility in, say, um, in the United States in Nevada, like they wanted with Yucca Mountain, and you have waste, Jeremy, and I pay, um, you pay me money to store it, I would put that money in the bank, I would get positive interest, and every year I wait, I would have less and less and less waste to treat until it's safe. So it means the investment pays itself out, you'll be a billionaire overnight. And uh, we did this, I know Kuberg, the South African guys did it. Every five years they go to parliament and parliament asks them for an assessment. Do we store the waste in the safety facility in the Karoo, the high-end waste, or do we just keep it on site? And they do a calculation. They always say every five years from now, it's always cheaper to do it because there'll be less waste because it decays. And they haven't figured out yet that, hello, there's a negative interest rate here. Right, mm. so it's always it, it's one of the few problems in the world where it makes sense to kick it the can down the road. So if you accept there's a safety level, it means there's zero cost to your waste treatment. It makes it becomes even more cheap. Yeah, and and so and so to add to that, the regulations, the red tape, and all the safety protocols make nuclear more expensive than it should be. But on top of that the waste becomes actually less of a concern. It becomes zero concern. It's already a little of a concern as it is currently, but it becomes just nothing. You just put it in a hole, that's it. And you make sure it doesn't seep out. You put it in a desert and hole, that's it. Problem solved. But why should you make sure that it doesn't seep out? 
Well, okay, if you, if you want the, the environment to be contaminated, it's not even the end of the world. In fact, the United States has this problem in Hanford, which is where they did the waste for the atomic bomb tests for the Manhattan Project. And it's seeping through the containers. And the entire environment is going to be radioactive, full of plutonium and whatever. And there's a big book written by this guy at Counterpunch, Joshua Frank. He's a sort of anti-nuclear activist. Good research he did on this. And his conclusion is the environment is dead, it will never come alive, and all those things. But it's green. It's a game reserve that is green. So it's just basically going to create a nature reserve. So what it does is if we accept that a little bit of bioaccumulation of radiation is good for the environment and good for the animals, it means you are not, you're turning the perception of a toxic wasteland into a nice game reserve. And that is what Chernobyl is becoming. And it, it's obvious then that by creating a boogeyman out of radiation, you by extension create a boogeyman out of nuclear power, which feeds into the green, the green renewable energy movement. Yes. Um, the thing about it is, the way I see the energy sector is this. There are eight major sources of energy, which is wind, solar, natural gas, oil, coal, nuclear. I forgot one now. Um, you know, anyway, so, so there's, there's eight of them, and hydropower, yes. So there's eight major ones. And they are all in competition with each other. Okay. So they all are looking for stories and propaganda. I'm actually working on an article for Dr. Piers Robinson on this. I've promised him last year, I haven't finished it yet, that propaganda in the energy sector. Um, you know, solar, for example, you've probably got a solar panel on your house in South Africa, right? It makes sense. Most yeah, Australians many, yeah. have got one. There are many, right. Um, so that doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing. The same with wind. There are good places to put wind and there are bad places. The same is true of nuclear. The same is true of oil, gas and coal. So what is happening is that because there's so much money in the energy sector, they're always looking for counter-propaganda. And, and that's sort of the message to your audience. I mean, I'm not here just to be a nuclear salesman. I mean, I'm a mixed grid person. I'm for the best and cheapest energy source, regardless of how you get it. Right. And But my argument is that we should be very skeptical of the claims being made that something is dangerous or toxic or evil or bad for the environment against any of these things. And equally so, people who say the sun doesn't always shine or the wind doesn't always blow. That's true, but there are ways around that. So you need to sort of have this picture in mind that if somebody is selling you something with that much money, that they're going to come for counter-propaganda. And some of these propaganda stories like the nuclear one has been sticking since the 1950 to the point that the nuclear industry is hamstring itself by not pushing back against it. As opposed to saying, we are safe, shut up, you know. We, we, Fukushima wasn't an accident, it was just a tsunami, it survived the earthquake, it's of that. As opposed to saying that, they said, oh, we're going to try and make it more safe. And when you do that, you open yourself up for more attacks. As opposed to saying, it is safe, and if there happens to be an accident, it's okay as well. Yeah, I, I do wonder though how long it's going to take for this, for this kind of red pull to, <laughs> to get swallowed by by critical mass because, I think there's this 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 in, this entrenched this embedded fear now, which as you say, is the result of many decades. I mean, it, it plays what plays back in the back of this is the Cold War. Because, you know, it was nuclear mm. winter against countries. Charles Sagan wrote this book with Richard Turton. This article I put on my substack called Civilian and Military Nuclear Power, where they always conflated 
a, a nuclear power station with nuclear weapons, which was absurd, right? They um, conflated, um, or, or they, they had these fantasies of nuclear winter. That didn't occur after Fukushima and Nagasaki. So maybe it doesn't exist, right? So that all these, these, these doomsday scenarios that they were selling. And what is true definitely is that the oil and gas industry, certainly in the 1950s, was threatened by the rise of nuclear power. We were building nuclear power until Chernobyl occurred at a rate that is faster than renewables are expanding today. And we can go back to that rate if we want a math mass expansion. I mean, in France, we are now going to build eight reactors and the French are serious about new nuclear power and so are the Russians and so are the Chinese. And this will be great if you're environmentalist, right? If you believe in the climate the doomsday scenario as well. I mean, the climate story is another one, right? Um, if you believe in all of these, these doomsday scenarios, fine. Nuclear should be part of the solution. But look at Australia. There's a law in Australia prohibiting the construction of nuclear power because of these type of propaganda stories. And it's still sticking. Yeah. And I can guarantee you that uh, there in the studio, Alex and Joel probably fear nuclear power. Hey, hey guys, you also, you also fear it. <laughs> that's the thing, though. Australia and California and Germany have got political parties who mobilized against nuclear power. The Australian yeah, Greens you see, that's the problem. Democrats. It's, mm. it, it became like a movement. It, it became a, a cult to a to, 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 to large extent, you know. Um, we have a lot of issues there, but we sort of accepted it in, in South Africa by and large. There's also, I spoke to Benny Pizer about this, who was the head of the Global Warming Found Policy Foundation. And he said to me, one issue of nuclear is that humans are always scared of new technologies. And he, from a historical point of view, nuclear is just much older than coal, which we're more accustomed to. So when Fukushima occurred, the Germans shut down their reactors. But France incidentally did not. And the reason France didn't do it is because... If you look at where the Germans built their reactors, it was far away from population centers because they were scared of it, right? Whereas mm -hmm. France, in contrast, built it between their people. So when Fukushima occurred, many French said, but we understand nuclear. We're not scared of it. And that's sort of the answer to this thing is that people need to start being accustomed to technologies because there's always, as, they, as much as there's optimism about the new technology, there's always people who are scared of a new technology. And yeah. I, I think that sort of plays, plays into this. And the thing is, is that I mean, I've been to um, I've been to a nuclear power station, and uh, yeah. it's it's clean, and all the area around it is green, and there are animals, and and uh, I don't get the impression that it's that it's dangerous. The only thing that sits at the back of my head the whole time is what I've been taught for years and years and years, you know, and cartoons and Hollywood and and music videos and all yeah. that sort of thing, books and whatever. This is a, a very, very difficult pill to swallow, Hugo, because people are just not going to want to <laughs> change their mind on this. No. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, trust Let's, me, um, I've had pushbacks from regulators, from people who mm. are very scared of this. And I said, guys, this is the evidence, and I can show people the studies. I sp and, and, and the interesting thing about this one is that it's actually hit mainstream science. It's not like... Um, you know, mm -hmm. the AIDS story that you and I are very skeptical of, right? Or COVID. This one is actually being discussed in the corridors of academia. So Dr. Wade Allison at Oxford, who you should have on on this topic, um, he's been saying it. I mean, he was a health physicist at Oxford. I mean, you can't get more mainstream than that. And he's been mm -hmm. saying for years that our standards are too strict, right? And th the problem is trying to get the public to accept that 
you don't need to be so cautious and so scared of a new technology. And I argue part of this issue is this precautionary principle that we had in COVID as well, this zero risk mentality. Yes, I, I might be wrong that maybe within the noise, there's going to be somebody getting cancer. Maybe that occurs. And maybe that's due to radiation. That's one in a million. But that's an acceptable risk for anything else. But we don't accept that risk for nuclear, right? Yeah, Catherine, who's listening, um, says in the live chat, I've read that China and Russia um, have built many nuclear, uh, new mm -hmm. nuclear power stations, and it'll, it'll become popular again, I think. That's right. France is building, China's building, Russia's building, and don't forget the best, the, the nicest country at the moment is South Korea. And one reason why I'm optimistic about that, I mean, it's closer to home, but they build a reactor in the UAE, and there were 150 South Africans building it. And the South African sure. government is now going to send out a tender for a new nuclear power station. And I really hope that South Korea, you know, makes a good case. I mean, I'm not a salesman for them, but I know that they 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 doing shipyard construction. They're building very well. So that's a country you need to not write it right off. Yes, Russia, China, South Korea's building. Japan as well has switched on eight gigawatt reactors. Because the logic historically was coal will be replaced by nuclear when you have enough money. Because coal is always cheaper than nuclear, right? And Japan is even going back to nuclear, slowly, but they mm. are. The Germans are still in their bunker. Um, I don't know how to get them out of it. <laughs> and um, Australia as well is still in a bunker. I mean, Australia, Listen. just remove your law. <laughs> you know? Germans are a lost cause. They've, they, they were completely and utterly annihilated after World War II. That's a Dave. <laughs> it's going to take them decades to, to come right. I think they're, they're now scared of I mean, anything the, and everything. The, is, <laughs> the, the Germans were the world's experts on advanced reactors, like gas-cooled reactors. Yes. The South African pebble bed mm. came from Germany. They, they designed. Okay. And guess what? They threw it all away. Yeah, that's what's it. Mm. Yeah, I think... I think this this is a conversation that we we're obviously going to have to have more and more often um, because number one it's it's all about fear and fear is a great mechanism for control. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, Hugo, there was this this fear of microwaves, and always make yes. sure you you press stop, press stop before opening the door because you don't want that radiation to leak out. Do, do you remember that? Yes, I remember. And microwave radiation can't even do that. It's the same with five G. Uh, you remember the 5G stuff mm. in COVID? Okay, I know you covered a bit of it, but 5G is not even ionizing. It can't break. It, it just literally can't do what people think it's doing. Okay. Yes, it can be used for mass surveillance. Okay, that's a different story. Okay, but we're being surveilled mm. anyways. But the benefit of mm. mass surveillance is you and I can speak to each other. So even if the yes. CIA is listening to our conversation, which I don't think they are, um, you know, it doesn't matter. We're having a three-way conversation, um, you know, three different continents. The, the thing is this, so you don't need to be scared of this stuff. I mean, your computer is radioactive. That's the other thing that's so funny to me is that, uh, mm. tell you this story. The German medical aid, the state government medical aid, pays Germans to go to hot spas, okay, and to sit in that water. Now, guess what? That water is radioactive, okay? So Germany shuts down the reactors, but their medical re aid reimburses them to go to be exposed to radioactivity. Now, of course, they drink that water. I mean, everyone drinks the water mm -hmm. at the butt spot, right? Um, and guess what? Nothing is wrong with them. So we know, we, we've got this weird cognitive dissonance where we know if you and your wife want to be healthy and want to treat yourselves, you go to a hot spot, right? And mm -hmm. you would go into that 50, was it 45 degrees water or 30 to 40 degree water? That's radioactivity if it's a natural sourced uh, um, uh, uh, hot spot, mm. um, a spring, what is a warm water spring. 
then it's radioactive. So we know this already from everyday practices. And yet the cognitive dissonance is we're scared of a nuclear power plant. I just want to say, if you're climbing into water that is 45 degrees, Hugo, you're my hero. Because <laughs> I don't think I could do 45 degrees. But don't you guys have that in the Cape as well? I mean, we have all these in the... 45 the degrees? Of, 45 degree water? Yeah, you get, you, your body adapts to it. You get those... I'm not sure if it's 45 was maybe high. I remember 38 was when I was in Chippies <laughs> last year with my wife. And she thought I was crazy as well, mm. by the way. Uh, all right. Hugo, I'll be back with you in a moment. My name is German. This is TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the end of the week. So how about a little dose of Joe Biden at his best to get you through the weekend? Folks, um, uh, I, uh, if I were smart, I'd say thank you and leave. There's asylum, asylum officers and over 100 cutting-edge inspe inspection machines help detect and stop fentanyl coming out of our southwest border. Greedflation, shrinkflation. You see that article about the Snickers bar? Well, it's going to stop. America, we're tired of being played for suckers. We get thousands. Look, we, we, you know, we now have, we used to, before the recession, before the, the pandemic, the beer brewed here, <laughs> it is used to make the brew beer in this refinery. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why it's going Cost 10 bucks to make it. 10 bucks to make it. We'll teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women on Now, normally, this would be humorous, funny, you know? But this is a man who's president of the United States and looking for four more years on the job. It's frightening. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. I want to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. I need to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. Why can't I eat, eat, eat apples and bananas? Support the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks to help provide meals to those in need. Join us at feedingamerica.org. Talk that matters. Germ Warfare and Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hugo, so basically the fear of radiation is manufactured. That's right. It is. It's entirely a... Um, it's a blown out of proportion fear. High levels of radiation, yes, but you're probably never going to experience it unless you fall into a swimming pool in a nuclear power reactor. But, um, low level but, radiation, so, I don't understand why. Okay, so so yes, an example, right? So you and I, we go to Chernobyl and we go towards the plant and we take one of those little machines that beeps, you know, yes. and it, it, I don't know what you call that machine, but it, it beeps louder and faster, you know, where the more intense the radiation is. What's going on there? And, and at what point does it actually then become perhaps dangerous? It becomes dangerous where it is higher than 250 millisieverts per, um, uh, per year. I would say 100 is the, is the level that Wade Allison suggested because there's uncertainty between 100 and 250. I'm not sure what that, because that's an hour, I have to convert it. 
So there is probably around the reactor Chernobyl. It won't surprise me if there's certain zones that are probably too dangerous to go to. But then you have weird things in Chernobyl, like there's birds in the um, that stay within the exclusion zone. There's actually birds that made a nest in the reactor. <laughs> so I mean, why are they not dead, right? You know, so clearly that those levels don't make sense. And we have animals running around there. So uh, mm -hmm. th that thing is going to beep most of the time, by the way, because you're exposed to background all the time. So just because it beeps doesn't mean it's a dangerous level of radiation. You first have to get to that level. I mean, I remember speaking to, who is this guy from Geopolitics and Empire, Horve, um, and I remember having this conversation with him. And he said to me, he went to Kazakhstan where they did the Soviet bomb test in, um, I think it's called Polygon or something. And he said it was like 20 millisieverts. And I said, yes, but you can take five times more than that, right? And we have, they made this massive exclusion zone. You can probably just reduce that exclusion zone and you'll be fine. The same argument I would throw at the U.S. Marshall Islands. Um, the United States threw a series of um, uh, hydrogen bombs there. It was like an irradiated area and they had to displace the population. And until today, that population can't go back home because they say the, the level of radiation is too high. But I would go and I would measure it according to these levels that I and Dr. Ellison and others proposed and ask myself, can't those people go back home, for example? You know, can't we reduce the exclusion zone of Chernobyl and Fukushima significantly? Because clearly if people are living there, give them a choice to live there. It can't be that bad. I mean, if you are drinking milk in Europe, you still have cesium, traces of cesium from Chernobyl. Clearly, Europe is not a toxic wasteland because of that, right? And the world will be, let's just pretend <laughs> for the sake of <laughs> for the sake of argument that uh, the, the whole climate change alarmism thing is true. Okay, and that humans are yes. warming up Earth and all that sort of thing. Let's just pretend. It would make logical sense to support nuclear power because it doesn't, it doesn't have that effect. Yes, but you see, this is what Dave Nichols, the head of the Nuclear Energy Corporation of South Africa, told me. He said the problem with nuclear is it solves all the problems. Okay, <laughs> it solves the. It's like yes. it solves the problem of material intensity of environmental exploitation, of less mining. It solves all those problems. That's the problem with nuclear. And it solves the carbon problem. So if you're making, if you have a, this, the problem with nuclear is this, there's not enough money to steal. There's not enough mm. drift in the system. You don't need a million solar panels across South Africa if you have one or two nuclear power stations. You don't need all those transmission lines. <laughs> you don't need yeah. any of this stuff. You just have a few reactors like France. It's done. And it's a lot neater. It's a lot neater also. I mean, solar, I'm sorry to say, but solar panels and wind power farms are awful. They're eyesore, they are noisy, and they take up so much space. I, I mean, so say solar makes more sense because you can put it on your roof, so you don't see it. Fine. But the thing is, right, this way, it makes no sense for me to go and to grow my own food and to compete against the Portuguese grocer. I'm sorry, but they're just more efficient than me. Okay, now, that's not just because they're Portuguese, it's because they're doing it at scale. Okay? Um, I get the same impression with electricity. Should everyone really be off-grid and his own, be his own micro-producer? I know some people think of that and they like this decentralized world and I've heard a lot of these people speak and I said, okay, fine, you know, have your panel. I still like the fact that I've got a big utility that just has one or two reactors and that provides power for the entire town. And that's it. You're done. You don't need anything else, right? And that's the problem with nuclear. It, it, it reduces the material inputs 
and the land inputs and the space inputs and all of these things mm. significantly. And if, if, we, if we just had nuclear across the world, it's a question if we can achieve that at the scale we're building, but if assume, presumably we had, CO2 won't be a problem. It solves yeah. the climate yeah. challenge, right? That's a problem. That's a problem. Assuming that, <laughs> and we must just make sure again, because you know that people are going to knee jerk. We're not saying, we're not saying that climate alarmism is a real thing. We're just saying if it were, then they should be supporting nuclear. <laughs> yes, and and well, the, the other thing is we talked about this a little bit in the break. But if you build, um, if you burn coal in South Africa, the coal is radioactive. Mm. If you have cement and mm. you live in Johannesburg, Pretoria, Lafarge and Afrisam, that cement is radioactive. I'm sorry to say, but your home is radioactive. If you mine gold, mm. you mine uranium with it. Okay? Yeah. So um, you're already exposed to a lot of radioactivity every day. And you're drinking radioactive water if you live in Chateng, most likely. Especially if you live in Galtonville in the West Rand. So um, sorry to say for guys, you're exposed to all of this stuff. And the cognitive dissonance is, is to get yeah. people to understand that you know, hotspots, there's so many places in your life we're exposed to radiation and you're not dying, you don't have cancer. Therefore, logically, you should not have to be scared of a nuclear power plant. Here are two questions from the live chat. Um, the one is, what about radiation from the sun? I mean, isn't the ozone layer protecting us from that radiation? And then the second question is, what is the source of radiation on a plane? So, first of all, uh, yeah, so it's a little bit different. Um, you have UV radiation, ultraviolet radiation. And here's the thing. What happens to you when you're exposed to ultraviolet radiation, Jeremy? It's your face looks like yours and not mine. You get tanned. What yeah. is the tan for? <laughs> it's to protect you against more exposure. Okay? So a tan is a natural protection. It's an adaptive response against more UV radiation. And that's what I argue is a generalized rule for all radiation. Is that you will be exposed to radiation... Your body adapts to it, and then when it heals, you can be exposed to more of it. Because if you are tanned, you can go into the sun more often, right? So that's what we call radiation hormesis. On an aeroplane, it's a little bit different because you're closer. You don't have necessarily all the layers of clouds and stuff protect you. So the UV radiation is much more direct and intense. Um, but even on aeroplane pilots, um, it's been shown that they can handle that. Um, there's even been a, a sample of people who, in, who ingested plutonium. Uh, Queen Victoria was presented plutonium, for, not Victoria, um, Queen Elizabeth, sorry, was presented plutonium for her 50th birthday. She touched the stuff, she's fine. Even your liver can even handle plutonium. Um, there was an article written by um, Dr. Bernard Cohen. We had a TV debate against um, Ralph Nader. And he said to Ralph Nader, I will eat the amount of plutonium if you eat the equivalent amount of caffeine. And guess what? The equivalent amount of caffeine is more toxic to you than plutonium. It's nonsense that plutonium is the most dangerous element in the periodic table. That's the type of stuff that you need to expose. You can, I wouldn't ingest plutonium necessarily, but if it happens, it's not the end of the world. Your body can heal from it. Yeah, so the other thing I, I suppose, Hugo, is that you're suggesting that our bodies are a lot more resilient to what we think they are. Yes, we are, we are, we, we, our bodies can adapt to toxins. That hormesis, so we, what I was talking about here was radiation hormesis, and yeah. UV radiation adaptation is called tanning. Okay, so you, you already, that's the, the subset of it. But yeah. um, 
you, if you ingest cesium or all these other so-called toxins, a little bit of it will prepare your body. It might damage the cells initially and the cell adapts. And then your body is yeah. stronger. It's that thing that wasn't kills you makes you stronger. Well, that's not just true of radiation. That's true of things like arsenic. It's through, true of a, a variety of toxins where a little bit of it might be good for you. Okay. And the people who used to know this um, for the wrong reason were the homeopaths. In the beginning of the last century, the homeopaths would use toxins, but they had a different explanation, which is wrong. Where the modern explanation is now called, in, in the medical, medical literature, it's called a biphasic response. So a little bit of toxin has, or well, not really toxin, it's called substance of anything, right? As an adaptive response. You might get sick a little bit and you recover, like natural immunity, and that recovery makes you strong. And then uh, the second phase is if you get exposed to a high level, a high threshold, you will probably die, you'll be injured. And that's the truth of radiation as well. Small dosages and high dosages are different. It's the same with medication, if you think of it. If I give you one aspirin, it's going to take your headache away. But if I give you 10 aspirins, it's probably going to kill you. Well, you know, you're going to sleep very well, right? So that's the um, thing that people need to think of. Yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to test your theory about 10 aspirins. <laughs> <laughs> because intuitively, you know that, right? But yes. if you would go to Kuburg and you'd be okay walking around, you've probably been exposed to radiation. But you're obviously yeah. not going to go to the reactor pool. Um, okay, so let's bring this back to just the average person. I'm getting the impression that what you're saying is that essentially pretty much anything and everything we do, we don't have to worry about radiation because unless we are physically going into you know, the middle of a nuclear power station, we don't really have anything to worry about. And this includes being in hospital with x-rays, for example. Yes, I mean, actually standards are, are some of the most absurd stuff. I used to have a dentist that didn't believe this stuff at the time. And he would just stand in there while he was taking the x-rays. He said he doesn't, it's too little radiation. At the time, I thought it was a bit, you know, risky. Now I know he was right. Your body heals to radiation. So even x-rays, yes, you should not have 16 x-rays in a row. I wouldn't recommend that. But if you mm. have two or three x-rays, what are you worried about? Your body, if it damages your body, it recovers and it's stronger afterwards. <laughs> Oh, okay, but then you have somebody who's, let's say, a radiologist who is working with, with x-rays on a daily basis. Okay, so he, he needs to be careful. So you have what you call an acute dose and a, a mm. cumulative dose. So if you get an intensive shot like of radiation, that will kill you. He obviously doesn't get that. He gets small doses over a long period of time. And he just makes needs to make sure that his body has a recovery period. So for two weeks, I don't do x-rays, for example, or I get someone else to do it. We rotate. That's how they would do it. Then your body recovers and you're fine. That's it. If you're going to have continual exposure, I mean, think of it. If, if you continually scratch yourself, right, eventually that scratch is going to become a wound. But if you scratch yourself once and it, you, know, you won't even see the scratch, your body heals and you can do it every week if you want. It's the same concept. Yeah, it's, and so the same, the same principle applies to dentists who, who do a lot of yeah. x-rays. The same would apply to all of them, I would say. I mean, the current medical standards they would quote would say no dosage of radiation is safe. Nobody that does x-rays really believes that. Because if it was mm. that dangerous, why do we give it to cancer treatment for cancer treatment? You know, so Hold the, on, the so medical you, uh, okay, what, So you're saying the medical sorry, sorry, sorry for interrupting. You're saying the medical standard says that no radiation oh. is the safe zone and low radiation is dangerous. They say every single Prop of radiation is dangerous. Every single dose. Sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. And and then they they go around and they mm. give it for cancer treatment because that's good for people. It doesn't make sense. 
Yes, a comment. Uh, the 1918 pandemic, oh, Spanish flu, was an overdose of essentially aspirin uh, given to the US troops. Um, oh, I don't, the rest of the comment doesn't really make sense. But I mean, I've, I've also read that. Um, and, um, and I've, I've I, read I, things on that. Mm. I've also read that it was just the soldiers coming back home from war and they were traumatized. And you get sick when your families are broken and half your family's yeah. killed in the war and stuff. And I know you and I are very skeptical of this virus theory, but let's not go through that. Yes. But yeah, yeah, I've heard, yeah, yeah, I've heard alternative explanations for the Spanish flu, and that maybe that's part of it. Okay, all right. So the takeaway from this conversation, Hugo, is the following. Don't fear radiation in your daily life. Uh, get on with things. You don't have anything to worry about. In, in many ways, it could even be good for you. Uh, just, yes. you know, and if you, are, and if you are experiencing some radiation at some point, just, you know, Take a break from it. What, what I would ask people is this. Again, this is now a message to Australia and to South Africa. So Australia has this ridiculous law against nuclear. And it's justified mm. no longer on the basis of danger, but it costs too much. So let's say it costs too much. Just get rid of the law. So what? Okay. It costs too much because you keep the law there. <laughs> okay. And mm. the same is true in South Africa. We're now going to build, or government said they're going to build a nuclear power station. I would encourage people to join the public participation hearings. It's in the nuclear regulators website because at the moment it's being hogged by Kuburg Alert Alliance and Greenpeace and, you know, all these guys. And I've been standing up to them. A few people I've, mm -hmm. I've debated them for those who speak of their cons. They can see them on my channel. And it's to trying to tell these guys, listen, shut up a little bit. Okay. You're, you're talking nonsense. You're fear mongering. And, you know, just don't be scared of stuff like this. We've had a nuclear act in South Africa for 40 years. I mean, I'm not mm. even saying let's build them without the radiation standards changing. Ideally, I'd do that, let it happen, but I'd say let's accept the same ones. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. And we can build it, we can have power, we can exit the blackouts, all these things. But if we're going to allow people to talk nonsense about nuclear again, you're just not going to have it. And then all those skilled South Africans will be working in Dubai and in France and all the rest mm -hmm. of the world. And the same will be true of South Africa, of Australians, right? Australia yeah, should have right. had at least one reactor by now for an advanced country, yeah. but it can't get one. Sorry, I'm, I'm jumping in now because look at the time. Uh, let's just quickly yeah. promo your your channel, your Substack, whatever. Okay, so my Substack is Hugo's newsletter. It's hkrugertjie at, um, at substack.com, without substack.com. For those who speak Afrikaans, hakkerki at substack.com. And um, yeah, I'm on YouTube as well. They can look at my um, my, my name and surname, Hugo Kruger, Hugo Kruger. And yeah, should be it. Wow, very interesting conversation. This is a, a really, really good red pill to swallow, Hugo. So th thanks for joining me in the trenches. Thank you, Jeremy. And thanks uh, for listening, everyone. Yeah, and uh, if you are going to leave comments in the live chat, please <laughs> please check your, your grammar. Because otherwise, I sound like a, a nine-year-old autistic child when I try and read out the comment and I have no idea what you're typing. So please, just just make my life a little bit easier by checking your grammar before pushing send. Send me an email, jimwarfare at uh, tntradio.live. Wow, I am really going to go back and listen to this conversation. Hugo, again, thank you so much. Uh, and on behalf of Joel and Alex, my name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.